Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail! Where I talk like that for some reason. Yes, is the answer <laughs> to your question. Look, you, you, introduce an, you introduce an episode, you introduce a podcast like 94 times, you start trying to mix it up, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Anyway, uh, this is the show where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, for the purposes of this podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. Yeah. And uh, here's how this podcast works. Uh, y- you write to us. Uh, you can send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a snail mail address. It's a P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, you can write us in a letter at Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and uh, you send us emails. You ask. You can ask us questions. You can ask mm. us recommendations. You can take us to the task for things we've said on other podcasts. Uh, you want to start a debate you want to know what candy bars we like i don't know we're, whatever you want really this is your show uh and we get to as many as we can every mm. single week and that's it we don't like to dilly dally at the front if we can avoid it we just like to jump right in mm. whitney tell us about our first letter right, here's a letter from dr nova hello Ooh. dr nova uh hi bibs and whitney uh i think everyone expresses burnout if they yes. do anything too much uh we had a letter from actually from b peterson last week about how um too, too much too much yeah, uh, B had consumed too many movies and was concerned that uh, <laughs> they were making a ton of podcasts. Yeah, was yeah, making a bunch of podcasts and felt a little bit uh, sort of numbed by the experience after yeah. a while. Only so natural. Trying to totally makes sense. Um, uh, I think everyone experiences burnout if they do anything too much. For me, it was Dungeons and Dragons and then movies. Okay. <laughs> after about six months of not watching movies, I can watch movies again. But even now, I sw- I switch between B. Peterson and others. I think I have some tips for not getting burnt out as often. That's a great idea. What is it? Uh, number one, don't feel obligated to watch a movie. Yes. This seems obvious, but still, hey, do you want to watch Star Wars? You can say no. <laughs> yeah. And yet, it's hard to it's hard to listen to that voice sometimes because like yeah. there's a general sense of yeah, but I've seen all the other Star Wars is and it's like yeah, but do you really care that much right now? There's the answer is no. And there's a a big there's a whole FOMO thing. You don't see it. You're not going to be part of the conversation that's going on yep. you know, on social media. You're not going to be able to contribute. All of a sudden, you're an outsider because you skipped this movie. So yeah, there's this kind of weird kind of social obligation. Mm-hmm. But if to we watch all certain movies, but I think if we all agree to just be a little bit more relaxed about that mm-hmm. and just say like, "Oh, you haven't seen it yet? Cool. You, you're going to get to it someday." No, no, eh, it's up to you. Whatevs. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about something else. Yeah. It can be that simple. <laughs> we don't have to be weird about this. Mm-hmm. Why is there peer pressure attached to yeah, everything? I've, I know some people, some professionals even, who buy like. Four, four or five tickets in advance mm-hmm. for a movie before they've even seen it the first time. How do you even know you're going to want to see it again? Yeah, like they, they're committed to seeing it at least three or four times in a theater before yeah. they've even seen it once. I, mean, I guess if you have, if you're responsible for making like eight YouTube videos about it, you better know it well. I guess so. But you're like, going to need that access. But that's not necessarily the case. Some but people are just, are just so not, confident yeah. that they're going to enjoy whatever the next Marvel or DC or Star Wars or whatever movie mm-hmm. is. They just already committed to it i'm like I, no <laughs> i don't know i'm gonna like it yeah i don't i don't know yet <laughs> maybe the, it stinks yeah, <laughs> it's very possible sometimes the, they do the one that gets me is I, I see articles all the time here are the most anticipated movies i haven't by, seen it by but, who well and and like most anticipated and then they're ranked it's like what in what units is anticipation measured yeah what is an anticipation unit called uh, a, it's a, a it's a it's a Lucas film. A Lucas, so we're, it's one L one LF one LF. Yeah, this one gets fifty yeah. on the LF scale. Oh God! But James Bond, James Bond was at a ten LF, mm. but now it's been pushed back so far. It's down to a measly five. <laughs> I hate that crap. Anyway, yeah. uh, number two, uh, get off social media. Yeah, that's a good. Just advice. in general, but this is a good idea. Uh, but mainly it allows you to not get distracted with thinking about how to talk about the movie or being worried about what people will think. For example, no one knows my opinion of the movie 1984 because mm-hmm. it hasn't come up. <laughs> Have you seen uh, the... I assume... Uh, the, the original l- ...listener right? that you mean the 1984 version of 1984. Or it could be Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, it just says 1984. Well, I'm saying it could be. It works either way, I suppose. But um, but regardless... Yeah, there's a there were two there's been two film versions of the George Orwell novel. One mm. would, came out in 1984, that's and the then one there's John the Wonder Woman movie. No, the, <laughs> that's a joke. Wouldn't that have been great if, that if, if she right? fought if she fought Big Brother? That would have been uh, cool, right? That would be <laughs> that would be a great movie. I want to see that. Uh, she's uh, oh, what was the um, 
Oh, the name of the uh, Emmanuel Goldstein was the the leader of the the resistance in 1984. Okay, and I remember that because that was uh, the real name of one of the hackers in the movie Hackers. Oh, that's right. They named him after uh, Emmanuel Goldstein from Resident Evil. Was it Matthew Lillard? Matthew Lillard's character. Yeah, so gave his hilarious. name as Emmanuel Goldstein. That's hilarious. Um, but that's a good advice too. It's also worth remembering that uh, social media, especially Twitter, it's very curated. You know, you're choosing who to follow. The, the and the AI is also picking things out for you. Yeah. So like every once in a while I'll like I'll have to like pick up uh, my partner's like phone for whatever reason or like whatever and I get a glimpse at their Twitter feed. Mm. It's completely different from mine. Oh like, yeah. Everything yeah. like they're they're the people that they're following are mm. so much more concerned about stuff that the people I'm following are not. Yeah. And mm. it's something where it's like I think of my Twitter feed as kind of my as kind of reality. It's not. That's, it's a very filtered that, and version of it. It's just the, the mistake, people that I know. Yeah, that's and, the mistake and, people have yeah. made. And it's all been in the news and we're still doing it. It's yeah. like you know, Facebook allowed all these algorithms to take over and they allowed yeah. misinformation to leak out. We know that now. And yet yeah. we're still treating our social media feeds as if this is what the whole world is talking about. I, I took a solid month off of Twitter, like mm. I think last summer. And it was so vital to me. And now I try to do it at least for a few days, a few days a month. Yeah. Like I'll take like a whole weekend off or a whole week or something mm-hmm. like that. And I'll try to just, usually not a whole week, but like, you know, yeah. at least a few days, just try only to, touching it to try promote. To, try to break the addiction. I have to post the podcast. Have, yeah. Like when the podcast comes out, I have to go on the account and say, hey, the new podcast is up. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm, I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, number three, get different hobbies. Yeah. I have three movies, books, and Doctor Who. I'm working through all of Doctor Who right now. Oh, yeah. And I love it. But after a season, I don't watch the next season for about a month. Great, let there it you sit. Go. Yeah, you don't you don't have to marathon. Let through. it percolate. These things, a lot of t- if you're into TV, they weren't made to be watched all in one sitting. Well, not initially. Some are. Well, some are now. Yeah, but, but I mean, if, yeah. if you're watching a show that was made before, you know, 2003. Yeah, that was kind of the turning right. point. Basically, when 20, um, whenever 24 came out, it was around the early yeah, 2000s. But, yeah, yeah pre 24, anything pre 24, those were made to be consumed on a weekly basis. Even 24 yeah. was meant to be consumed on a weekly basis. That's true. It just happened to work the other way around. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's spectacularly yeah. good advice. There's so many other yeah. things you can do to so many other things you can do with your time. <laughs> there really are. They have value. Mm. They're 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 meditative. They're exciting. They're, they have exercise involved. I don't like those. But uh, <laughs> you don't like meditating or exercise. No, meditating is fine. See, you don't like, you don't like being still, and you also don't like moving. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's exactly it. That's it. That was the point I was trying to make. Right. Uh, but was there any more than the letter? Uh, yes. Um, okay. Number four. Don't make it your job. <laughs> oh, too late. Uh, I know. See, see steps one and two. If this is your job, you'll probably be stuck on steps one and two, which is don't feel obligated and get off social media. Well, that, that that's also there. That's true to a point. You can totally look. Sometimes well, I have I'll, no choice, but sometimes I do, and I can decide. I can say no to things. Yeah, I you know, mean, I usually don't because I, you know, I like to see everything, but mm-hmm. I also will be like, you know what? No, not this time. I don't. Yeah. I have other. Th- I've. I have actual obligations to family, and I can't go to that screening. I'm sorry. There's been you know? uh, something. Uh, one of the positive things to come out of the pandemic was, you know, with theaters all shuttered, uh, everybody sort of had to refocus their attention when it came to film. Yeah. And I think a lot of people felt a lot freer to explore a, a lot more interesting types of movies, mm-hmm. you know, kind of go into the corners where all of these, they're, they were always there, but you don't have to exert were, all yeah. your energy on the same, like, cause three blockbuster would come out every week. Yeah. Three giant mainstream, you know, in and, multiple yeah, thousands yeah, and, of theaters and, and every week. And those you, films were off out of the conversation now. Yeah. So people had to sort of find smaller yeah. films or older films to talk about. The whole month talking about vast of night on Twitter. Wow. What a great time. Well, wasn't that wasn't that nice? That's so good. <laughs> I, I'm gonna miss that. I'm not gonna. Yeah. There's a lot of things. Obviously, the pandemic was was fucking awful, but there were some things about it but where it, I'm yeah. just like, could we learn a couple of valuable it, lessons it, from that? At, at least, least? We, yeah. yeah. There, there was a time when we were all really obsessed with the Vast of Night. Yeah. Uh, which is an excellent film. By so the good. Way. Do not forget that movie, please, mm. don't. If you haven't seen it, do. Uh, but yeah, uh, this sort of we made it our job. We're we're stuck here. Um, yeah. But you know, we it it's something we chose. But we so can also here's yeah. the thing: we can also quit. 
Yeah. We can also choose to only, if we wanted to, we can choose to only focus on certain things. Yeah. I know people who only uh, uh, write about horror almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. And so if they watch anything else, that's for fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a thing. You can and, do that. Uh, and I'm reminded of the story of uh, critic James Rocky. Uh, James yeah. Rocky left the biz very deliberately. He retired from film criticism. Yeah. He started he his own. He was a mainstay. Everyone yeah. knew. Yeah. He, he was really well known and he became so uh, incensed over what he called, uh, he coined this phrase, the anticipation industrial complex, yeah. which is, and it's even worse now than when he left, True. this idea that every conversation about film is about what's about to come out and uh, we're talking about movies through the filter of what the marketing is telling us to talk about. Yeah, we basically but, become mm, tools of the marketing machine. Yeah, so like our our enthusiasm of, has become weaponized by corporations mm. to make them more money and it doesn't even feel genuine anymore. No, and, and yeah. so we're being brazenly manipulated by advertising to the and there's whole industries based on it. Yeah. Let's speculate what's in this in this superhero movie. What mm-hmm. When is X character going to meet Y character? Yeah. Why why are we talking about this? We haven't even seen the movie yet. Especially as much as we do. It makes no sense. Yeah, like and, it's a huge percentage yeah, of it. And, and, it just, J- and yeah. all it does is save Disney, Warner Brothers, whoever. It saves them a lot of money. Yeah, the, you're, we're doing you're, the you're now doing them. advertising for them. And James Rocky yeah. saw it happening. He's like, I don't want to write ad copy. I'm not here to advertise the movies. I'm here to you know, discuss an art form I'm fond of. And he left. He started his own baking company. Yeah, good for him. I saw him yeah. at a working at a Williams Sonoma shortly after he left I the building. Uh, Luca, Luca's playing with things on the table. Hey, Luca, yeah, Luca yeah. get off! Hey, Luca, get off the table! Get off the counter, Luca! <laughs> Luca just like j- jumped back into his cat tree and sullenly turned his back on us. <laughs> He's just like, no, nope, no, I'm mad at you both. Uh, and there's there's one more. Okay. Uh, number five: spend time with people. Yes, being around people is very helpful. I subject I suggest tabletop games. Hmm. Uh, Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons is always fun. Uh, I haven't played a role playing game since college, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah I haven't either. Uh, yeah, free, freeing up freeing up time for yourself mm-hmm. is uh, going to be difficult. I don't know what your circumstances well, are. Well, I think I also think that there's uh, uh, you know your mileage is going to vary depending on how extroverted or introverted you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not want to spend time with a lot of people. You may only want to spend time with one person. Mm-hmm. You may find that you need to spend more time with yourself, and you're spending too much time with other people. But it is important to connect with humanity, yeah, yeah. whatever form that takes for you. I but, thoroughly and, agree and with not, that, and not yeah. the social media version where no, no, everybody's no. sort of a brand. Yeah, talk talk no, to like a, at a least if, if and again if you're if you're still like you know more or less quarantined, at mm-hmm. least the Zoom call as opposed to the text. Yeah, you know, well, at least at least talk to someone face to face. You know. Uh, I'm I'm weird because I still call people on the phone and yeah. like talk talk to them using my voice. Evidently, well, this weird, is yeah. this is a strange. Well, no, I knew that, but uh, <laughs> evidently, this is a very strange practice now. Like people don't yeah. do that anymore. They don't have phone conversations. Yeah, phone conversation. Why not? I like have it. it. I am, um, I'm down. Yeah, I hope this helps to remember to have some fun. And if you're uh, and if you're not getting paid, and if and if neither is happening, then screw it all. Uh, <laughs> Signed, Doctor Nova. P.S. I like 1984, but it feels like going through depression, so I'd rather not watch it again. Okay, uh, I think I'm, I mean. I guess I'm, they mean I think it's the, yeah, the 1984. Uh, this is all good advice. And again, as we as we talked about in the last episode of We've Got Mail, um, it's okay to be burned out. You don't have to like force yourself to keep doing the same thing you've always done or liking the same thing you've always liked or you can stop. or or buying every if, single uh, issue of something or buy, or seeing every single movie in a franchise. If, if it's the, okay to just say, you know what, I'm good for now. There's there's a moment of reckoning in every um, music fan's life mm-hmm. where if they're following a certain musician or band and they're incredibly prolific, when do you stop buying their records? Yeah, like. At some point, you're gonna have to stop, right? Mm-hmm. Theoretically, uh, I, I I'm a big fan of They Might Be Giants. Sure. I, I discovered them when I was 12, and they they followed me throughout my youth. I'm fond of the band, and they're incredible. Nothing if not prolific. They write uh, 18 songs a day. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty crazy how how much how much content they put out. I said it. I said content. I apologize. Hey, wait, wait. How much music they make? Yeah. It's um, not a great term. It's kind I, uh, of disrespectful to the artist. But I yeah. stopped buying They Might Be Giants records oh. at some point. It, it was just too much. Yeah. I, I didn't have the, the time or the patience to keep on listening mm-hmm. to all of their records over and over again. Yeah, I remember uh, I, I had my moment of reckoning. It wasn't with music, but mm-hmm. uh, it was like the time when I really just finally realized that like I don't have to do shit. Because mm-hmm. there's so many like TV shows I'd watched to the end just because like I saw the first four seasons. I might as well see the last two. And then I finally mentally did the math and I'm like, that's like 
40 hours of my life I'm going to piss away on something I'm not even into anymore. Mm. And I was watching True Blood, which is a show that, uh, boy, did that show have its ups and downs, didn't it? Some really good stuff, some really fucking bad stuff. And all, all I know about True Blood is that everybody got naked. On everybody that. got super naked all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it was a very, very horny show. Uh, but uh, the last season, it it, it it got worse and worse and worse. The last like, couple seasons weren't great. And the last season, and these were like HBO seasons. They weren't even that long. I got like three episodes into it. And I was like, you know what? I don't give a shit how it ends. I no longer care. I've I spent I've spent like half a decade with these fuckers. I no longer care how their story ends. That's how bad this has gotten. I don't care. I don't know. I don't want to know. I've never even looked it up on the Wikipedia page. I just didn't care anymore. Yeah, the, the, that's I just a, never look back. Yeah, um, I uh, I haven't ever seen the third of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Okay, because I, I saw that first one. I thought it was overstuffed as is. Sure, it's like this fine, is fine, but it's overstuffed. It's, it's, yeah. it's fun, but there's too much of it. Like there's yeah. shave this down. Uh, then they made a second one. And it was even bigger and longer. And they mm. said, "Okay, and there's going to be a third of like the end of that movie. The main pirate is swallowed by a kraken, and they have to go yeah. to the afterlife to get him." And, yep. And I, I just, I didn't have the patience, yeah. so I just didn't go to see how that story concluded. Then they made two more, I saw those. <laughs> um, same with The Matrix. I wasn't going to see that third Matrix You never saw movie. the third Matrix? No, I, well, I have, but I didn't want to. Okay. I saw it under duress. Um, I saw, I, I like The Matrix. I saw The Matrix Revolutions, like, okay, we've gone, just with that one, that second film, they've uh. already gone way down the rabbit hole. Uh, the, the, the filmmakers are disappearing up their own asses. I, I don't. This is I, this I is too much for I'm me. I'm gonna say this right now. Yeah. I was, I was when the those movies came out. I thought they made some weird decisions. I'm not on board with a lot of them. Mm. But I haven't revisited those movies in mm. at least 15 years. Mm. And. I think I want to rewatch. So I'm probably going to rewatch right. them before the new one comes out. Right. Just, just, it's, it's, I've seen the Matrix one enough. I'm at least going to rewatch two there's, and three. There's a digital pie orgasm in that movie. I there's remember like so that was cake. Okay, whatever it is. Remember the Merovingian is uh, just like I'm going to have a big long monologue, and then this lady's going to have a tasty dessert, and then she's going to have an orgasm, and it's going to mean something. And I'm sitting here in a crowded theater in Westwood, California, going. The what fuck is happening in this movie? And a part of me is a part of me is impressed that we're even doing this this big budget movie. Yeah. But another part of me is like, what? <laughs> Why are we? So I'm gonna watch it again. I'm gonna watch it again with like my own with my modern perspective now, knowing what I grow having grown up a bit, and maybe I'll appreciate how daring it is. Maybe yeah. it'll maybe it'll connect with me on a very different level. Maybe yeah, I, was, I was maybe I was immature and was expecting more shootout shit, and when it didn't give me that, I was mad. Maybe I was oh, just yeah. immature. I don't know. Uh, no, but I I was you know deep in the culture cult of the Matrix mm-hmm. when it first came out in '99. I really loved the movie, uh, and yeah, I was really looking forward to the sequel. They said they were going to make this like one gigantic mega sequel. It's going to be two parts. Mm-hmm. And I saw the first part. Pretty daring was, at the time. And I said I saw the first part. I'm like, nope, I'm out. I didn't want to see the third one until a friend insisted. They said you're not allowed. <laughs> You're not allowed to skip it. You have to see how it ends. It's like, I don't care how it ends. I don't yeah. want to see this movie. But he, he he paid for my ticket and he dragged me along. And a really curious thing happened during the Matrix Revolutions. Nobody made a sound. I remember seeing the first uh, Matrix film and people were cheering and having yeah. a good time. And there was like Very, energy in the room. There's a lot of investment that we have in that There movie. was a weird like r- religious like prayer toward the screen during that third Like people, yeah, were really sort of con- we can't have fun with this. This is, this is philosophy. This is really serious. This is serious that yeah. the, the guys in the machine gun robot suits are firing <laughs> bullets at space octopi. You know, it's like... The, hey, hey. And then there's... Hey, a, hey. Uh, and those, then were, it, those were Earth octopi. Excuse me. They were subterranean Earth octopi. Sur- Get it right. S- s- sorry, the the rare prairie squid. They're not, they're not aliens. Um, <laughs> this isn't this isn't stupid. Oh, sorry. <laughs> these are these are robot octopuses. Mean, <laughs> meanwhile, Earth. meanwhile inside Tron, <laughs> Keanu Reeves is having a Dragon Ball Z fight with a million Hugo Weaving. He's like, yeah. what the. It's weird, it's, right? Uh, anyway, we should move on. <laughs> we should move on. But thank you for that letter. That's really, again, always good to keep it in perspective. As much as you love something, yeah. uh, perspective is really, really important. Let's move on. Um, here's a letter from JB. Hello, JB. Hi, JB. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Whitney. Long-time listener, maybe first-time emailer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I wanted to write in to provide a small but important clarification in the statements Bibbs had made in a, a recent letters episode uh, oh. in which the Taliban were mentioned in relation to the discussion about the ignorance of the American public and the inclusion of real places and events in semi in a semi-fictitious manner. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the most accurate term for the phenomenon discussed, but let's roll with it. I'm by no means an expert uh, as to the Taliban or Middle East political movements in general, but I generally graduated with a BA in political science along with a certificate in Islamic studies, so I feel like I can provide some helpful context to other listeners, assuming this letter is read on the air. Hey, here we are. Um, The Afghan insurgent groups uh, that Bibbs mentioned as a part of the plots in films like The Living Daylights and Rambo 3 would have been the Mujahideen which at the time of the films uh, refers to numerous groups with different ethnic and ideological beliefs, but were united against the Soviet Union. Okay, so, uh, I, so I was wrong. Fair enough. Thank you for, well, thank you for yeah. the correction. Uh, this unification was generally built on a shared anti-communist ideology re- rooted in pro-Islamic identities. Important note, these films were released towards the ends of the Soviet-Afghan War from 79 to 89, and each of the films was released after Gorbachev announced uh, and enacted the withdrawal of Soviet forces from the region, so the victory of the Mujahideen was uh, essentially already on the horizon when the decision to include them in these stories so, have occurred. So the Western filmmakers who were like picking a side in that were already we're already like, late to the fight. Well, yeah. not, not late. They they were they were they were Monday morning quarterbacking. They were picking mm. like a victor and like saying, "Oh yeah, we were on their side the whole time." Yeah, yeah. assholes. Um, the Taliban, as we know it today, formed during the Civil War after the breakup of the Soviet okay. Union, and its leaders were former Mujahideen fighters that were uh, spiritual and political leaders to their communities that organized a new generation of politically active Afghans around a particular religious militancy. Uh, that explains uh, how, I got, how I got it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to make a long story short, too late, uh, Afghan forces in the Living Daylights and Rambo Three were not the Taliban, but a united insurgency force known as the Mujahideen, whose victory in the Soviet-Afghan War would eventually provide the leaders of the Taliban with political and military legitimacy uh, i love all the shows you do and i love the salt cat soap products i have purchased. oh thank you very much i hope that y'all have a good day best jb yeah, jb um, thank you so much and thank mm. seriously thank you so much we try to do these things right but there's so much information out in the world we're going to screw something up and we yeah, always well, and, want and, when people can correct us we always want you to please do yeah, yeah. uh and and that's it's valuable information and we uh and i've said this before we tend as critics we tend to rely on certain kinds of shorthand from time to time mm-hmm. and the the uh, catchphrase around movies like The Living Daylights is, oh, James Bond helped the Taliban. Yeah. Ra- Rambo helped the Taliban. And that was and, a gross you know, oversimplification. It's, and it's, it's an oversimplification. It's, it's kind of like um, originally played as a flip joke that kind of like leaked into an actual part of the discourse. And that's, mm-hmm. that's lazy on our part. It so, um, no. And thank you. We, yeah. we need to make sure we don't take these things for granted. We need to be more careful with, uh, uh, yeah, making yeah. sure the historical record is reasonably accurate. So thank yeah. you very, very much. That was awesome. So glad you wrote in. Uh, here's a letter from Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Okay. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Whitney. Uh, I'm sorry to bother you, uh, bother you like this, since you're both m- more, much more intelligent and well-versed in film and literature than I am or ever will be. Pshaw, uh, I say. Uh, I, I try, but only so much time. Uh, clearly, I do appreciate movies and value your opinions uh, because I enjoy your podcasts and I am a member of your Patreon. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, But you brought up a topic that my studies in music almost compelled me to write this email. Great. Uh, In a recent We've Got Mail, uh, the one released on the 8th of September, you had a question about anachronistic music in film. Mm. You mentioned that a certain composer hated the music selection for Roman epics because... Uh, the film music in Roman epics sounds more romantic. You mentioned that it sounds Baroque, but the style used in those movies is more romantic than Baroque or classical. Very uh, nice. And then you mentioned the show that the show Rome had used actual music from that era in history. Um, I think I, you said that. I, I yeah. said that because uh, I haven't seen Rome, but uh, that's, that's, what what I heard, that's what I had read about yeah. the, the show Rome. Yeah. I admit I have never seen Rome or know what you were talking about, but I'm sorry to say that there is no existing music from the Roman era. We have right, right, we have yeah. the instruments that would have been used during that time period, but written musical notation in Europe only began sometime around the early 7th century. Uh, before that, all music would have been transmitted via an oral tradition or a style or music lessons. Mm-hmm. It's likely that the composer for Rome, Jeff Beale, or whatever show you're referencing, uh, would have used historical instruments and forced himself to use the scales and tonalities specified by the limitations of those instruments mm-hmm. to create his compositions. It would have been the closest to Roman music we could get, but until we develop a time machine and encounter or encounter the Guardian of Forever, uh, we'll never know what Roman or Egyptian or Persian music would have truly sounded like. I admit I cannot speak to uh, music of the Orient. Uh, I know that all of the oral, tra- oral tradition of music is far more consistent than in Western traditions, but I know very little about it. Mm. And we all have more to learn, don't we? Uh, Ain't that the truth? 
I was also wondering, uh, that's so fascinating though. I, I love that yeah. kind of history. Uh, I was also wondering as soon as the question was posed on the podcast about how I would answer the opposite. Are there movies where the story or film is trash, but the score or soundtrack is fantastic and stands on its own. Oh. Uh, the one I can personally think of is Moulin Rouge. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that movie, but that soundtrack I can listen to all day. Seriously, performing Roxanne by the police as a tango with a super strong strings is while driving is that, amazing. That's probably the musical highlight of that movie. Yeah. I think Roxanne. That's that's a great yeah. bit. That that bit's amazing. <laughs> I think even if you don't like Moulin Rouge, I think we all got to admit that's a pretty <laughs> epic cover of Roxanne. I I really hate Moulin Rouge. It's, I know you do. It's such a, a shrill yeah. piece of work. Um, um, is that the um, end of the letter? Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, I hope uh, my rambling makes some sense, and I hope you both are very well. Sincerely, Jeremy. Yeah, it's another another great example. Mm-hmm. Boy, I wish my dad was alive because he would have. He would have ripped me to pieces for getting anything wrong about ancient Rome. <laughs> he, he was such an expert in ancient Rome. He would know everything yeah. that we said that was wrong. Thank you for writing yeah. in about that. It reminded me of, uh, are you familiar with Kate Beaton? Uh, who did, who uh, I, th- I think they still do it, but the, the comic strip Hark a Vagrant. Oh, uh, because of you, I'm familiar. Yeah, with, Hark of Vagrant is a comic strip yeah. uh, I've, I've been very fond of. And um, Kate Beaton has done like a lot of comics that were sort of looking at either history or historical figures or sometimes great literature and just having a playful on the lighter side take. And there's one uh, a bit of hers that I always really liked, which was a, a wandering Middle Ages minstrel, you know, hmm. Back up against the tree with a, a lute, with, yeah. with a lute, mm. and like a woman like sitting there on the grass with her head in her hands listening to him, and he's just playing the lute, mm. and these you know a couple of panels to set the scene, and then he just strums, shut through the heart mm. and thou'st to blame. <laughs> Always made me laugh. So for all we know, ancient Rome was like nothing but hair metal. We could, for all we know, we never mm. know. It's a good point. Um, I I know. Um, Mm. I was a theater major, and there was a certain sound that um, uh, was played on stages whenever we were doing, like, studying ancient theater, like ancient yeah. ancient Greek theater, ancient Roman theater. Uh, and, yeah, it was all based on um, instrumentation, like, as, as the uh, the listener wrote in, a, a lot of the instr- instrumentation uh, limited by what the instruments were at the time. Sure. So that it did have a certain kind of sound to it, and so that's what I associate with. Mm. Uh, sort of ancient Roman, ancient Greek uh, drama, mm. um, but I, that's yeah. not that's still, however, not the sound that you would hear in Roman epic movies. No, so it, it was like two steps removed yeah. from any kind of actual accuracy. But the inverse question, by the way, which is, is also good, which is uh, the bad movies with good soundtracks, and I can think of a few off the top of my head. Mm. Uh, Xanadu. I love the soundtrack to Xanadu. I think that is a wonderfully poppy disco uh, inflected soundtrack. Some songs are better than others, but the the good ones are really, really great and catchy. Wonderful electric light orchestra uh, jams. The movie, I really want to like Xanadu. It's so dull. It's it's really... It's so dull. Michael Beck is so miscast. Like, the movie doesn't work. Not even on a camp level. It just doesn't work. But the soundtrack's really, really fun. And, and, and I do and like Olivia it. Newton-John is like, oh, yes, I'm amused. What do you do? I, nothing. I basically <laughs> point you at an empty building and say, hey, what if you build a discotheque? Mm. And they're like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Cool. And, and Olivia Newton-John can dance. Yeah, she can sing too. Well, she well did, enough. So, yeah. um, She's okay. But they made the mistake of having her dance with Gene fucking Kelly. Yeah. And and it looks like she can't. I know. <laughs> like she actually can. And Gene Kelly. This, she this can is, hold her own. That was but Gene she, Kelly's last movie. But like, she can't he wasn't hold her like, own with Gene Kelly. Yeah. Was, he, and know. this is Gene, my point is this is Gene Kelly when he wasn't even as spry as he used to be. Mm-hmm. Still can't hold a candle. Mm. Uh, another good example Gene, here. Gene Kelly's last movie uh, was technically Cats Don't Dance. Okay, last the, live a, action the animated film. He was the he was the dance consultant. Okay, because they were animating dance. But he's characters. not on camera though. No, or he's he's not, he doesn't play a character. No. Okay. Well, but it was the last movie we worked on. That's interesting. Mm. Um, a couple other things. Uh, Batman and Robin. Bad movie. Mm. Pretty good soundtrack. There's neat stuff on that soundtrack. Well, we, you and I grew up during the period when yeah. uh, soundtrack records were a big business. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about this numerous times. Yeah. About how uh, a film could be a failure at the box office, but could recoup its losses with record sales. That's how big record sales were at the time. Yeah. Uh, and as such, a lot of money was put into finding hip new artists and licensing a lot of uh, hot music to put, to put in the movie and to put on the soundtrack record. Uh, as such, you have a lot of impeccably curated uh, albums mm. that are great to listen to for a movie like Dead Man on Campus. Yeah. Uh, you know, just 
like these really crap comedy films mm-hmm. and just really bad dramas. Got these really, really uh, like the, um, the Basketball Diaries. A lot of these films had some really, really wonderful soundtrack records. Yeah, Godzilla uh, had a wonderful soundtrack record, uh, and the movies are of varying quality. So yeah. th- this is actually something really common. Well, the nineties in particular. I, I do want to say I do want to make a point. Uh, I, I wanted to clarify uh, the Batman and Robin soundtrack is a good soundtrack. Except for one song. Hmm. It's R. Kelly's Gotham City. Now, first off, R. Kelly, what a piece of shit. Hmm. But even before that was like common knowledge to everybody, Gotham City is a shitty song. Okay? Here's 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 the chorus to Gotham City. I wanted to look it up and make sure I got it right. A city of justice, a city of love, a city of peace for every one of us. We all need it, can't live without it. A Gotham City. Oh yeah, uh, I don't think anyone ever told R. Kelly what Gotham City was actually like, <laughs> because every single version of Gotham City is not a city of justice, love, or peace, and it sure as fuck ain't for every one of us. Okay, we do not all need it. Many people would prefer to live without it. Gotham City. Oh no, no. <laughs> it's like um, um, partners in crime. Did the rap song over the credits of the Ninja Turtles song? Great. Or Ninja Turtles movie? Yeah, uh, Turtle Power. Turtle, yeah. T-U-R-T-L-E. T-U-R-T-L-E Power. Yeah, great, great. Um, and song. and the, uh, the lyrics are about the events of the film. Yeah. And they n- name all the characters, and, yeah. and but they get details wrong. Like, they didn't watch Ninja Turtles before they wrote the song. Yeah. I mean, Ra- like Raphael a... is the leader of the group. Like, Transformed wait. from the norm by the nuclear goop. Wait, Raphael is what now? He's, uh, yeah. <laughs> what? What? They're, they're, Leonardo it, would have, it, did Raphael write this song? In, in, in the movie, there isn't a leader. There's just the four of them. It's kind of Raph- It's kind of Leonardo. Come on, but well, uh, you're, you're, but you're you're taking that from the cartoon. No, where they I think, explain I just, that, that I just he's think the he takes on a bit more of an authoritative older brother stance. But he's not the leader of the group. The rat is the leader. The rat is clearly the leader, <laughs> but the rat's taken out of the equation. And, okay, boy, well, right, I guess. Uh, another movie that I, I I know a lot of people have a lot of affection for this movie. Hmm. I do not think this is a very good movie. I I don't think it's a particularly terrible movie. But I also think it doesn't really capitalize on its promise. Hmm. Dragonheart. Now, I know a lot of people love it. Hmm. Some people are going, hey, I like Dragonheart. Fine. I would never call it a great movie. I think it's a B movie at most. The score is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> the score for Dragon. I think it was, was it um, James Newton Howard who did it? Oh, um, let, let, me, let me look that up. I, I just yeah. asked the Schmodown question because I don't know who did the score for Dragonheart. Yeah, yeah. That Dragonheart score is like seriously one of the most. Oh, it was Randy Edelman. Okay. One of the most epic scores anyone has ever composed for any movie, and it's for this movie in which uh, uh, Dennis Quaid teams up with CGI Sean Connery to stop um, a giant CGI character in 1996 uh, was a, a bit of a novelty. Very novel at the time. Yeah, uh, doesn't, the, the, doesn't hold up great today, but at the, the time, very novel. The special effects were, like, they weren't... Just, like it wasn't Jurassic Park level CGI, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it, it was considored impressive enough. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, anyway, it was a corny, but corny film. It's just, really it, liked it, it there's, there's not literally a lot of magic to it. There's not a lot of atmosphere to it. It's not a lot of. It, it just feels like they coasted on the idea and Sean Connery, mm-hmm. frankly. But uh, but the score is nobody told Randy Elliman it wasn't the best movie ever made because mm-hmm. that dude made one of the great epic fantasy scores ever. <laughs> Um, and uh, it, if nothing else, at the very least, outshines the movie. I think that's fair to say. I'm very fond of uh, the opening theme song to a really crappy video game adaptation called Wing Commander. Uh, it had Matthew Lillard. Not, the movie's not as Junior. bad as people make it out to be. It's not good, it's not but it's also great. not. It's also not a, a huge stinker. It's just. Low budget sci fi film about low, teens low, in space. Well, low, low budget sci fi trash. Not yeah. not particularly interesting, but yeah, yeah they, they it's not it's not painful. They they've got this gigantic orchestral sweeping like Star Wars style score for the Ooh. opening with like a lot of trumpets. I'm gonna like, listen to that. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, it's like really really bold and exciting. It's like, oh, this is gonna be a fu- oh. You you didn't have a lot of money. I, oh, I think, Fre- oh, Freddie Prince Jr. is not I don't want to watch him in this movie. I remember, I actually had this vibe too when I rewatched uh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie. They've done some straight to video Dungeons and Dragons movies. Some of them are actually okay. But mm. the, uh, the 2001. Yeah, with the 2000 the, with uh, Jeremy Irons and Thora Birch. And, um, it's directed by a guy named Courtney Solomon. Yeah, Richard I, O'Brien's in it as well. It's a weird cast, all over the place cast. It's one of those casts where it's like, who was available that week? Mm. We'll take them even if they're, as long as 
long as they're a big name, doesn't matter if they fit. Uh, but it's, that's it's, it's pretty awful. It's not a good movie. Yeah. But I I remember and I I thought it when the first time I watched it. I thought the second time I watched it. Whoever did the score for that movie did a real score. Like they were trying <laughs> to save the film by giving it this like kind of upbeat epic adventure score that the movie it was the score wrote a check the movie couldn't cash. That's basically what it boiled down to. Uh, sorry, but there's a lot of good examples. Let us know if you have any favorites. We'd be very curious to hear about them. Yeah, uh, what's what's a movie you hate, but you love the music? Yeah, yeah. Whether, whether it's the soundtrack or the score or both, whatever. Be very curious to hear. Right. Uh, here's a letter from Jinxie. Hello, Jinxie. Hi, Jinxie. Um, oh, we've heard from Jinxie before. Um, dear Bibbs and Whitney, uh, I disagree. <gasps> what? They can disagree. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is a Star Trek uh, letter. Oh, okay. Um, I disagree with your reading of how uh, Jordy LaForge responds to Riker giving him sight. Uh, this is in reference to... Uh, oh, this is, this is just today. Just today, yeah. So we got a brand new letter. Um, yeah, we recently did... We have a podcast called All Our Yesterdays on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. We're reviewing every single episode of uh, Star Trek in production order, and we've recently started doing about halfway through season one of Next Generation. Uh, and uh, we ran into the episode Hide and Q, in which Q, a godlike being, if you don't follow Star Trek, decided to give uh, Commander Riker... Uh, the mm-hmm. second in command of the USS Enterprise, godlike powers, and uh, Riker decided to prove that he could handle those godlike powers by bestowing benevolent gifts of the anything people wanted mm-hmm. uh, amongst the crew. But it turns out they were all things people didn't actually want, and he didn't actually understand the human spirit as well as he thought he did. Yeah, yeah. that's the overall message of the, yeah. of the um, episode. Anyway, I disagree with your reading of how Geordi responds to Riker giving him sight. Bibbs said that. Uh, People aren't defined by their disabilities. Uh, I am disabled. I am a woman, and my disability is every bit a uh, defining part of my life, as much as the fact that I'm a woman, that I'm bisexual. Uh, if you were to take away any of those things through a hand wave, it would change the very essence of who I am. Yeah. Uh, Riker, on the other hand, is an abled guy who sees Jordy's disability as something that he can and should be, and should be fixed. That's why Jordy is horrified because yeah. Riker has taken away a huge part of who Jordy is. Well, that's not all oh. he is. It's a big part. It's a big part of who he is. And Star Trek: The Next Generation has never shied away from Jordy being disabled, and that makes him who he is. Uh, it's one. It's the one time. One of the times that Star Trek has handled disability brilliantly, and Jordy was one of the people who had actually helped me become comfortable with accepting who I am. Just my perspective, Jinxie. Uh, Jinxie, thank you so much for writing in because I apparently fucked up mm-hmm. because I would. That's more what I was trying to convey. And okay. apparently I failed. Uh, okay. I, I really was wanted to articulate that uh, I when I didn't want to say people weren't defined by their disability because I mm. I, I I know a lot of people who are disabled. I myself have a bad knee. It's not the same thing, but it's something I, I wrestle mm. with every day. Uh, but uh, I, I was trying to say that uh, the idea that Riker was saying that uh, Jordy LaForge's story could be salt could be resolved his yeah, journey the, uh, could be resolved he, by by quote unquote fixing his disability is something that Riker believed yeah right but Riker, I don't think uh, I, I don't think, I think uh, what, he under, he didn't understand that Jordy was that his disability was yeah. part of who he is uh, and Jordy didn't necessarily want to be uh, fixed uh, if, if I may please um, it, what, what I think you were trying to get out here yeah. was uh, Riker was looking at Jordy and only seeing his disability. Yeah, he, Jordy, he, was, de- he was defining his vision Jordy is a problem to be solved by his disability. And I think yeah. that's what you meant when you said people aren't defined by their disabilities. Where yeah. Jordy is a full person; he's yeah. not just a blind guy. And in fact, Star yeah. Trek has always been really good uh, with the Jordy LaForge character in particular. Yeah, with uh, ne- never really making his disability uh, uh, something to uh, like a, an instrument of pity. Yeah, it's like. Uh, and the the fact that Riker thought to do this actually isn't part of the thesis of the show. In fact, it points out how wrong Riker was. Exactly. To to have that viewpoint. Yeah, that was a very ableist viewpoint but, on Riker's yeah, the, point. I the, I the sincerely show, apologize yeah. if that's how I came across. I was I clearly I think I was trying to balance what Riker's viewpoint was versus what Jordy's viewpoint yeah. was, and I think I got muddled there. I, we we record these late at night. And sometimes uh, I'm a little, mis- misspoken a little I'm a bit, little bit yeah, more, a little bit more of a jumble mm-hmm. and I need to, that, that is a great wake up call for me mm-hmm. to be more careful, especially when dealing with sensitive topics yeah. and to be articulate because I want to be corrected when I'm wrong. Uh, and please correct me when I'm wrong. And I came across mm-hmm. wrong. Definitely. That wasn't what I wanted to articulate. And if I did that, I fucked up and I feel very bad about that. So thank you so much mm-hmm. for telling me. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. That's what I meant. Mm. That's 100% 
the the I, that is the perspective that the show I think comes across. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up and making it part of the conversation. I'm trying to think of uh, other because I've seen all of Star Trek: The Next Generation. I'm yeah. trying to think of other instances where uh, Jordy's blindness is brought up at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't until like the movies yeah. that they started to like address his eyesight differently. I mean, those those four Next Generation movies are pr- like all of them are pretty bad. Uh, and I, I, I still think you're a little hard on First Contact, for, but okay. And, like for it's First Contact is the Wrath of Khan. It like kind of doesn't fit, but it's yeah, also pretty good for what it is. It's, it's trying to be action schlock with actors who are already in their sixties. It's like yeah. n- no, due to due to the diplomacy stories. Now we don't need you, uh, P- I, Picard in a tank top hanging I, from stuff. I digress. My point is, I think that uh, one gets away with it. But uh, um, but uh, yeah. yeah, in in. Um, in the first movie, in Generations, mm-hmm. uh, the villain uh, kind of mocks his eyesight. Yeah. But that's the villain. You know, he wants yeah. to sort of show kind of how, how villainous he is. Yeah. Uh, in Insurrection, uh, that's the the one that takes place on a planet where everybody is like healed and becomes a little bit younger. And, and like kind of immortal, yeah. Yeah and, they, yeah, and they live forever if they stay on that planet. And uh, even though he was born without them... Uh, his like ocular nerves grow back. Jordy's ocular nerves grow back. Yeah. And there's a few scenes where he has, uh, has eyeballs again. Yeah. Like he doesn't have no. the contacts on. Yeah. In in this, in first contact, he doesn't have the visor anymore. He's yeah. had implants that look like, mm. like eyes now. Which to be fair was teased at the, in the series finale of next generation, that that would be a technology that was available to him. Yeah. yeah so. uh, but I didn't realize it would be that soon. So I guess they mm. just figured LeVar Burden was tired of the visor. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, <laughs> Probably like, just tired of the place. Like it, it'd been a couple of years since he'd been played shorty. He's like, can I? Because oh, like, he did wear that over his eyes. He he was yeah. his vision was obscured when he was yeah. playing Jordy Lavore. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for writing and thank you for mm. correcting us. Thank you for 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 seriously bringing that to our attention. And I sincerely apologize for coming across so badly. I that's oh. not what I meant to say. I, yeah. You misspoke, and uh, no, I just want people yeah, to know I do take it very, very seriously. I don't want to be flippant about it. It means a lot. You're, to you're me. not a, you're not a villain. <laughs> I hope not, but you know, I, I don't want to become one either uh, by by disregarding anything. Sorry, so thank um, you so much. Uh, here's a letter from Cody. Hello, Cody. Hi, uh, Cody. Dear Rockmaster McCool and Nitro Bibs. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Well, flip on the afterburners. Nice um, stars. As a fellow as fellow appreciators of the Muppets. I must ask you this question. Okay. Was Fozzie Bear actually a good comedian, or did he deserve all of the heckling from Statler and Waldorf? Best wishes, Cody. That is a that <laughs> may be have, the best question we've ever been asked. We do tackle the important things. Thank uh, you. Fo- Winnie, I, I, your thoughts. Fozzie sucks. <laughs> That's the point of the character, is that yeah. he is a bad comedian. I... Uh, n- I have not ever laughed at a Fozzie joke, and that's kind of the point. He only tells groaners. Mm-hmm. And uh, his lack of skill as a comedian, not his lack of passion, mm-hmm. not his gentle nature, he's yeah. a good friend. I think he's an invaluable member of the crew when it comes to uh, wrangling things, but mm-hmm. he, he's the thing you put on because you have something good coming on later. Yeah, uh, he's he makes the, everything after him look better. Yeah, 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 he's he's the the one you're putting in front of the curtain while they're changing the sta- the stage yeah. behind you. So he fulfills a function. I I uh, I'm actually going to slightly disagree with you here. Slightly. Okay. Uh, I would argue that Fozzie is not intentionally a great comedian. I think Fozzie is very genuine in that his sense of humor is not great. Tends towards not only bad puns, mm. but also to oversell his punchline and to demand applause for a groaner. That's not, generally speaking, uh, a particularly great way to get the audience on your side. Mm-hmm. However, I would argue that, although he probably didn't start out this way, and maybe he was never doing it intentionally, I think as Kermit, as their director, producer, uh, has implemented mm-hmm. the work of Fozzie, I think he has turned Fozzie into the best version of himself, which is, I'm going to do everything, I'm going to take everything Fozzie does... And I'm gonna make him into an Andy Kaufman routine. <laughs> Andy Kaufman is one of the so great is one of the great comedians, but he didn't get up there and tell jokes. He would just do weird shit. Mm-hmm. He would get up there and read all of the Great Gatsby 
All of it. He, he, he would do, do the whole fucking book. He would do jokes that sound funnier when you're relating the experience after the fact yeah. than you than you any laughs you got during right. the actual joke. And oftentimes he would he he would do bits that were intentionally not funny. Mm. Like he would do like a, a I'm not going to do his like funny uh, uh, voice, but uh, mm. he would do a bit like okay I'm going to do my impression of Archie Bunker. Mm. Hey you get out of my chair. Thank you. That was Archie Bunker. <laughs> like <that's>, <laughs> the joke is that's not a funny joke. Mm. And I think that's the joke with Fozzie. The joke is we keep putting him out there even though he's not funny. Yeah. We keep putting him out there. That's the commitment. You have to sit through those jokes. And the fact that we engage with Statler and Waldorf who pay to be here mm. every night they buy those tickets and we get laughs out of them. <laughs> We're taking advantage of Statler and Waldorf using Fozzie as bait. Fozzie That's is, a genius move. Fozzie is essentially the straight man to Stellar and Walter. He is, yeah. even though he's the one who's telling the jokes. That's a brilliant bit. I think he is <laughs> accidentally a brilliant comedian, and I think if you explain that joke to him, he'd stop being funny. Can't, <laughs> he can't do it on purpose. No, no. I think he's got to be like he's got to be directed. He's got to be a little manipulated into like give. It's like the story that like Slim Pickens didn't know that Doctor Strangelove was a comedy. Mm. If he, if he did, he probably would have played that role very differently and it wouldn't have been as funny. Mm. I think that's the thing with Fozzie. I think Kermit uh. knows what he's doing with Fozzie. I think he knows what Fozzie is good at. And he knows that Fozzie, even though he's not a great comedian, has an impact on the audience that can be very useful. Yes. And as a result, I think Fozzie is an integral part of The Muppet Show. I think he is a brilliant part of The Muppet Show. But the fact that he's a bad comic is what makes him great. Mm. But... Uh... Well done. Dust well off put my forth. Ass. Thank you. Pulled that yeah. right out of my butt. <laughs> Just thought of that now. You, you need ba- you need bad comedians to see which ones are good. Yeah, so they're it. useful in a certain sort of way. What do you get when you put chocolate pudding in your mother's shoes? You get a spanking. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's kind of that's funny, a fuzzy. That's it? actually that's yeah. actually pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I, I like that. I think we're with that. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of what one he was trying to tell to the fat sailor. There was this sailor that was so fat, sailor. How fat was he? He was so fat that everybody liked him, and there was nothing funny about him at all. <laughs> uh, Fozzie, uh, he, the, the Muppet Show was based on a lot of old. Uh, it was vaudeville. sort of like you know, old vaudeville uh, tropes. It was this yeah. live show. And Everyone had a different uh, act, different musical numbers every night. Yeah, and, and the whole bit with the Muppets was uh, it was sort of. Um, it, the joke was that it's all now these like weird puppet characters doing yeah. these old sort of number these and, numbers. And Some of them were legitimately good. Mm-hmm. And, Most of them uh, were impressive, not. Impressive puppetry, but the whole joke was these non-human creatures are trying on a human habit, and the juxtaposition mm-hmm. between those two realities is where the humor comes from. Yeah, like they're they're they've yeah. got a whole show. They're not actually good at it. But there's something charming about their complete sincerity in their delivery. Yeah. Like, yeah. Fozzie Bear's comedy, is he, he's like a space alien. Yeah. He saw some vaudeville routines, like, oh, let me try yeah. that. And he doesn't understand how humor functions. Uh, to go to back yeah. to go back to Star Trek, there's a few episodes where Data tries to tell jokes. Oh, we already had one of those. Yeah. yeah and he's, like, really weirdly aggressive with it, and it ruins... Mm. It's not a good joke to begin with, but yeah. because he's so aggressive in the telling, mm. he doesn't understand the nuance of the language. Yeah, there, there's yeah. going to be an episode where he doesn't understand jokes, so he goes to the holodeck and takes lessons from, uh, from of all people, Joe Piscopo. Ah, yes. <laughs> Joe Piscopo was on the Star Trek. comedian in history, like Joe he's, Piscopo. He's not, playing, he's not playing Joe Piscopo, but, but he's, he's also, playing a stand-up comedian. He's also Joe Piscopo, and he knows people know who he is. Yeah. Like, they're, they're playing off of it, but that is, but that yeah, is pretty so, damn funny. Yeah. So Fozzie is like, he's almost like Neil Hamburger, and that it's like Dada comedy. Yeah. Like it's set That's up, what I'm saying. Set it's kind of this, weird non-comedy yeah, comedy. It's, yeah. it's it's this non-com. It's like a children's joke book comedy where it's not meant to make you laugh. It's meant to teach you the way comedy is constructed. Yeah, how to deliver a joke. And he's still and he got stuck on lesson one. Yeah, there's a so, setup. There's mm. a payoff. But I'm not going to learn how to like deliver it in a funny way. Mm. I'm not going to learn timing. I'm not going to learn how to like get you ingratiated into the setup so that you don't see the punchline coming. Mm. Uh, nope. I'm just going to do an awkward setup. I'm going to yell the, an- yell the punchline as loud as I can. And then I'm going to scream waka, waka, waka as if that will make everything funny. Oh. When you said that Fozzie was an alien, my first thought is as waka, waka, waka translate to like, please love me. <laughs> <laughs> please love me. I tried so hard with that joke. I worked really hard. He's, he's summoning please his leaders. Me. Please love me. 
I would love to see a double bill with Fozzie and Neil Hamburger. Just that that would that'd be great. I would have like loved Fozzie and, and Andy Kaufman. I think that would have been perfect. They would have had so much in common. I don't think they would have told a single joke. I think they just would have enjoyed each other's company mm. and talked and talked. And then Andy Kaufman would have wrestled Miss Piggy and lost. And it would have been great. <laughs> that would have been amazing. All right, then we got time for one more. All right. Um, here's a letter from Landon. Hello, Landon. Hey, uh, Landon. Reading Biggs and Rockmeister Bagul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that's, that's, uh, that's great. That's a good one. That's a good one. I like mm. that, yeah. Bagul is from the movie Sinister. Yeah, uh, God, that first movie was great. Lo- love the show. Uh, like yeah. Whitney, I really enjoyed the movie Night Books. Oh, that's yeah. Night Books was was a delightful film. I still haven't seen. Uh, I'm gonna watch that soon. Yeah, it uh, sounds really fun. Uh, it's great gateway horror. I uh, mm-hmm. especially liked the Evil Dead like camera zooms and the drag me to hellish witch at the end. Uh, my one big complaint were that the stories were within the story. If they were actually scary, like scary stories to tell in the dark, creepy. Uh, the book, not the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have elevated the movie to a sleepover kids classic. The ones they used were just kind of meh. But I love the show, Landon. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for a second yeah. opinion on Nightbooks. Uh, yeah, Nightbooks is. I, I feel like horror for kids has really been excelling in recent years because mm-hmm. um, I really like that scary stories to tell in the dark movie. Um, that was good. I, I know a lot of people were sort of down on it. I don't know why. I I, it, was, it was a little longer than it needed to be, but it was creepy and pretty I guess good. So, yeah. But yeah, the, the 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 sequence with the woman walking down the hallways. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, a scene where one of the characters uh, has had this vision of this like horrifying, like kind of monstrous woman who uh, wanders down a hallway and he can't mm-hmm. get away. And he's at this cross section of t- like two really long hallways, and he can look down four directions. And every direction he turns, the woman is there. And each time, she's a little bit closer. Yeah. And and like it's, it's all saturated and red, and she's actually like has this weird sort of placid expression. That's like fucking terrifying scene. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the sequence with that. One of my one of my favorite scary mm. stories as a kid, and by favorite I mean it fucked me <laughs> up. Was the story of the Scarecrow Harold. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is just Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. They're not all terrifying. Some of them are silly. Some of them are just mm-hmm. sort of general campfire tales. Uh, but Harold is really gory and gross. <laughs> like it's a real like kind of a mature scary story, and it's really mm-hmm. like macabre. And I thought they handled that one really, really well. Yeah, but, um, but there was that one. There's uh, um, the first Goosebumps is really good. Yeah, the first Goosebumps film. Second one, fun monster stuff. It's just repeating uh, the first, around. basically. It's, the, it's uh, more of the same. But the first one's solid. Uh, to a degree, it. Uh, I know it is. You know, it's an R-rated film. That's for. Uh, a, a, a I think the first audience, one. I think yeah, you just watch uh, the first one in a vacuum. There's, there's you like some good it. haunted house imagery in in, yeah. in those movies. A uh, movie that you and I like that most people sort of glossed over was Joe Dante's The Hole. This that's is from pre- like 2000. It's a little bit older, but yeah, yeah. More like 2010. Oh, but like, uh, but like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, I guess, yeah, I guess. It's uh, right. But uh, yeah, it's it's a rock solid film about uh, these two kids who move into a house and they find a hole in their basement that's like infinite, and, and they and end what, up pulling... whatever you're most afraid of climbs yeah. out of the hole. Yeah. yeah, which is a gimmick a lot of horror movies have done, obviously. But the hole does it really, really well, and uh, it culminates when they actually have to dive into the hole, and mm. that whole bit is pretty damn epic and good yeah. um it's 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 yeah. a very underrated joe dante joint and it's it's yeah. scary but it's good for kids yeah. i think it's and, a good gateway horror film and dick miller's in it he plays the pizza guy <laughs> yeah. he has no lines uh more recently i was very fond of vampires versus the bronx that's a really that's good a line. really good movie really uh, i really fun. like night books uh and I already mentioned the Fear Street movies that came out this year. Yeah, those, those, are, those are a little more violent. Those are definitely not for younger kids. That's more of like a yeah, they, junior high, high school sleepover kind yeah, of vibe. But there's still... There's yeah. there's a younger audience in mind well, there. And keep the, in mind that... You know, the, younger, the younger people are represented better in that one, which is why I think it matters. But it's but still very hard art. Recall you and I grew up... You know, as young kids watching yeah. R-rated horror movies. Oh, I am know. not judging. I want to make that like, abundantly clear. I, I think, I'm not saying kids shouldn't ten, see violent movies. What 10 I am and 11 saying, year olds are probably watching Fear Street. What I am saying is that if anyone listens, here's here's what it boils down to. Because I agree with you. And I, I saw like Predator when I was five in theaters. I saw okay. World Robocop when I was five in theaters, and I turned out more or less fine. We turned out okay. <laughs> I was seeing really violent, you know, action movies and horror movies, whatever, and I could handle them. Sometimes I got scared, but usually I didn't. And mm-hmm. I had parents who talked it over with me, and they loved cinema, and we really talked about cinema, and all that stuff was great. I am not ever gonna say that like we need to like protect kids from seeing R-rated movies in general. Anyway, so, some yes, 
Some are definitely not designed for kids in mind. But um, the idea that, like, oh, it's R-rated and violent, a kid shouldn't see it. No. But what I do appreciate is that as critics, Mm -hmm. I know some parents look to us to just sort of have a general sense of what the content of a film is so that they can decide whether it's appropriate to show to their kids, provided that they are still in a position to manage what their kids are consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like if you're like if your kids are putting together a slumber party and like you're helping them curate it, you should know that Fear Street is not a PG thirteen. Fear Street is quite gory, mm-hmm. but it's also got it's, really it's, great teen characters. It's, really, it's designed yeah, it's, for it's teens. Really, uh, yeah, it, I, I would say it's acceptable for a thirteen year old. It's for a thirteen from, year old from maybe. my own perspective. For a thirteen year old yeah. maybe, but at the same time, like for for little kids, there's some stuff in there that will fuck them up. Yeah, there's something there that's really like traumatically violent, and you should be aware of that. Some kids are going to be okay with that and deal with it great. Some are not. I think it's our responsibility to make you aware of that, but not to tell you how to live your life and how what movies to show your kids. That's not our job. Mm-hmm. Um, I just take that seriously. Uh, I think Paranorman is another great. Uh, yes. Another great one. It's a stop motion oh, animated gosh, movie, but it's also a horror movie too, and it's a really, really good one. Uh, that, very, one, very fond of it. And that's one for weird little kids. Oh, so yeah. There was the, uh, that one year where we got Paranorman, Frankenweenie, and Hotel Transylvania. Oh, those are all, all, all like good. all within like three months of each other, and yeah. those are all good movies. Only Paranorman's really like a gateway horror thing. The other ones are just kind of like spooky movies for kids, but those are all really good know, films. There, there's a scene in Frankenweenie where uh, kids learn that if they electrocute their pets they turn into monsters uh yeah i mean that's fun don't get me wrong twisted shit and like as the the, the creepy but i wouldn't call it scary the the scene where like the cat turns into a monster would have fucked me up as a child like there's some really scary stuff in that maybe that's the case um and of course some of the classics from when we were younger uh the lost boys is a little violent but mostly okay for kids and that movie's pretty great you think so oh i saw that when i came out that was a kid when i grew up that was a kid's movie (laughs) <laughs> that was a, it's it's violent. There's a lot of like stakes to the heart or whatever mm. like that, but everything turns out more or less okay. Mm. You know, it's it's uh it, it was a kids movie, but again, that's more of like that's more of a junior high slumber party thing than like a movie you show your seven year old. The Monster Squad was another one of those. It's a little violent at times, but it's mostly great for kids. I, I didn't see either of those movies when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I, saw I grew the, up with both of them. I saw The Monster Squad in college, and I saw The Lost Boys last year for the first last time. Last yeah. year he saw The Lost Boys. Wow. <laughs> it took me a while to get to that one. Um, my, my one criticism of The Lost Boys is, why weren't the Frog Brothers also vampires? They should have been. The whole time? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, it's about the... It's, it's essentially like f- the three main characters. There's mm-hmm. Diane Weiss, there's Jason Patrick, and there's Corey Haim. Yeah. And... Uh, Diane Weist, it turns out we learn at the end of the movie. I, I, I can't spoil this movie. Anymore, this movie, I? this movie is like thirty-five years old, and it's considered kind of a genre classic. Yeah, so I think it's okay. It's revealed that uh, the fellow that was romancing her was a vampire. Yeah, it so was, she uh, was Edward being, Herman. Edward Herman was seducing her. Uh, Jason Patrick, and this is the main part of the movie, is being seduced by the local JDs. Yeah, into joining their cool, sexy the, motorcycle club. And it turns out they're all vampires, and that's pretty yeah. obvious from the start. And wouldn't it make more sense if the kid was also being seduced by vampires, but using like comic book language, the kind of stuff he's yeah. into? Yeah, so that, that would be seductive for him. So Corey Feldman is just like, "Hey, come hang out with the cool kids. We talk about comics. Ha ha, we're vampires." Yeah, yeah, that, that would have made perfect sense to me. But there aren't really good vampires in this universe, at least not full vampires. Well, why do they have to be good? Why can't they? They want but to seduce but they're and the, kill but them. they're the ones who tell people how to fight the. Their function in the story is uh-huh. to tell people how to kill vampires. Yeah, that's so we just don't have that, and Corey, it, just no one finds it, out. No, they're just wrong, <laughs> or they're lying to him. Okay, that's, I, a, I, that's it, a twist. That's a it, twist. That, 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 that would that would have made a lot more sense to me if it turns uh, out the frog the frog brothers were also vampires. I when I grew up, the frog brothers were like unassailable heroes. I don't know if I could handle them. <laughs> frog brothers were just there was they, a general they, understanding they that the frog brothers were here to protect us all, all right. and there was this general sense amongst me and like the my friends in school where it's like. Telling you, man, when they grow up, they're gonna like kick the Ghostbusters' butts. Like they're just gonna be the ultimate <laughs> supernatural well, hunting I, badasses. And I, I expected a happen. scene where it's like, oh yeah, and you can drive a stake through the vampire's heart, and like Corey Haim actually does it, and he's like, oh shit, that actually works. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> We've been teaching him how to kill us, and yeah, you know, and they run, and he ends up. Well, there's a, there's a moment too. in the movie yeah. where because uh, it's the whole bit where um, if you invite a vampire in, you have no power over the vampire, mm-hmm. and uh, Corey Haim's like, you guys knew that, right? The father was like. Oh yeah! Mm. Everybody knows that. Like, no, they had no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 
it's a bit of guesswork involved. Um, but I digress. Uh, fun movies, regardless. Um, thank you, everybody, for writing in. This has been a really fun episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, if you want to write into a future episode, our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, six four one five six. Uh, Critically Acclaimed Network. P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, thank you to everybody uh, who's uh, written in. I didn't get a chance to check the P.O. Box uh, before mm. today's episode, so we might, if there's anything in there, we might double up next week. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we also were on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibel. Special shout-out to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. None of our shows would exist without you. Thank you for your support. It means the world to us. If you can afford to, to join the show, you know there's a lot of exclusive podcasts that we do over there. Polls to help uh, determine the future of our various shows, uh, what what movies we're going to review, and the like. Mm-hmm. We do hangouts online. It's 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 a whole business. Um, but uh, if you can't afford to join in, there's other ways to support the show. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, leave us a review if you haven't already. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, if anyone you know is looking for recommendations for a podcast, let them know we exist. You know, they have like awards for podcasts and things. I don't know how people get nominated for those. I don't think what? they do. I hear people like seeing podcast online. It's like, like, hey, yeah, yeah. You know, don't forget to vote for us for podcast awards. And I'm like, I, really? Uh, Seems uh, kind uh, of rude to ask. Um, Write in and let us know uh, what podcast awards are in the world, because I don't know what we'd win. <laughs> I don't know at all. <laughs> Nominate us for a Pulitzer. Let's see yeah. if we can get yeah. one. What 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 episode? Podcasting. What episode is going to get us a fucking Pulitzer winning? <laughs> I'm really curious to know what yeah, you the, think. The episode where we review where we review cats. Well, submit that one to the Pulitzer. <laughs> it's a little old, but okay. Anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Please remember all of those things that we said. Mm. And uh, until next time, sincerely yours, uh, Bibs and Winnie. <laughs>